0: You're listening to RB's On the Verge podcast series, where we look at disruption through the lens of opportunity.
1: My name is Willem van der Post, and this is the RB On the Verge series, where we take a look at disruption, but through the lens of opportunity. And joining me today is Dominique Collette, or Dom as we call her, affectionately. And she is a part of RMI and Alpha Code as an investment executive. So Dom, safe to say that you know a lot about the entrepreneurial and investment ecosystem in South Africa. You've been exposed to it.
0: I've been exposed to it. I don't know if I know a lot about it, but I've been exposed to it. So,
1: so let's look at that. Um, in South Africa, uh, there's this rise of fintech, mm-hmm. which I believe is your area of expertise. Correct. Correct. And how does that juxtapose to the scenario that we see in a Tel Aviv or in a Silicon Valley where TV series are being made around venture capital and investment and entrepreneurs?
0: Sure. So just to take a step back, so I come from an entrepreneurial world. I was part of a team that built a digital bank called Time. So this was before FinTech was FinTech. So this is now in 2010 already. Um, And... When I joined RMI, it was really to look at how do we deploy money into other FinTechs. And our thesis at the time was, there must be all these great businesses, I'd just come from one, and we're gonna deploy money really quickly. And we discovered that wasn't the case for a few reasons. First of all, the South African, um, just the general entrepreneurship ecosystem is maturing. So historically, it's always been very much around survivalist entrepreneurs. So we've got a huge entrepreneurship ecosystem, but these are guys, for example, that sell tomatoes on the side of the road. Now, they are entrepreneurs, they are a very important part of the economy, but it hasn't been formalized. When we talk about the formal entrepreneurship system, it's very immature. We We haven't had the funding levels that you've seen in the US and in the UK, and we haven't had the number of players that we've seen there. We've also got a constraint around talent. So there's a number of reasons why this ecosystem has struggled somewhat, which is why over the last five years since I've been with RMI, we've certainly seen a delta, but it's probably not where we would like it to be.
1: So what's the shortage? Uh, capital or jockeys or good ideas or regulatory frameworks within which there's fertile ground? What, what is the biggest uh, lag factor here?
0: So it's a couple of things. Certainly from a fintech point of view, the one thing I always like to dispel the notion around is it's not a regulatory constraint. So yes, we may not have formal regulatory sandboxes like you might have in Singapore and the UK, but we've got an incredibly well-structured regulatory system. You actually know what you're dealing with here. You can't trust that to a lot of other emerging markets where fintech might have taken off because they're trying to find solutions because people don't have any financial services, but it's murky regulation. So I think we've got a phenomenal regulatory framework. Where we struggle is... First of all, the really good, talented people in South Africa are still sitting in corporates. Mm. That is the nature of South Africa. That is it is still a South African psyche that you go to university, you try to get onto a graduate program in a corporate big brand it's big brand and it's it's job security it's just how we are wired we are a fairly risk averse nation from that perspective so if you i'm still I, i'm engaged, yesterday i met with two 17 year olds to ask what they're doing these are two kids at top of their school at the top of their class top of their school and they're still saying they want to go study accounting so they can go work for a bank <laughs> okay, if you it. have those conversations in the u.s or in the uk it's very different so first of all entrepreneurship is not seen as a desirable career and we need to change the conversation around that. So then even if you do get someone who's going to go against the grain and tell their parents they're going to build a business, there isn't funding. And and I've got to clarify that because people will say there's loads of funding in South Africa. And yes, there is a lot of late-stage funding. There's a lot of private equity money. There's a lot of development finance institutions. We do not have a lot of angel funding.
1: Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got to pause you there because hmm. the, this landscape is not known to everyone Uh, and you know layman in the street so just talk to us about these different clusters or stages of funding
0: sure so the first thing when you've decided you want to run a business i want to launch an app that i don't know delivers water to my desk so yes barriers to entry are very low these days because most you know if you if you're smart you can code you can develop an app on the app store and you can develop a little model. Okay, so that's easy to start building this business. though, you do need money. And generally what people do is they go to friends and family. So you go to your friends and family. So that we're going to pause there. If you are from one of the historically privileged groups in South Africa, you probably have quite a broad net to go to. So you might have gone to the right schools. You've you've benefited from good education. Your parents have got some money so they can give you money to start your business. And that's certainly the case in the US and in the UK. Unfortunately, given our historical past and given the prejudice that we've experienced here, a lot of, for example, young black professionals who want to start a business can't go to their family to raise the money. Um, you know, often these are people who are supporting 8, nine, ten people back home. So, now where do you get the money? You might have a fantastic idea. You might be the perfect person, but you need someone who says, I'm going to give you enough money for the next year or two so that you can cover your costs and you can build this business. Mm. So, that's probably the biggest thing that we are lacking in South Africa.
1: So, what do we call that? Is that angel funding or is it seed funding? How do you term it?
0: I call it angel. So right, that's angel funding. And it's friends and family money, basically. I've heard the triple F. <laughs> friends, family? Fools. Fools. <laughs> right. Probably. Okay, um, so
1: that's early stage and we call that angel.
0: That's angel. Now, uh, an important thing to note, in the US, for example, there's a, and you mentioned Tel Aviv, this is a big thing also in Israel, there's a big pay it forward. So if you are a really successful technology entrepreneur and you exit and you have multi-million dollar exits, you invest in the next generation. So you'll see in the U.S. the angel investors are all successful entrepreneurs.
1: Mark Andreessen comes to mind. Correct. Right.
0: Elon Musk, he made his money out of PayPal. You know, he's funded going forward. Ashton Kutcher, if we want to make it quite relevant.
1: So a cultural thing to perpetuate the momentum that this machine has garnered.
0: Correct. Um, In the U.K. we see very similar Mm. things. You get guys who've made a lot of money from building businesses and they say, so first of all, they've got the experience because they know what to look for and B, it's a thing that you do in south africa we've got a few angels i mean there's some very high profile ones certainly ones that are known to this group for example michael Yordan, the ex um, ceo of fnb where we don't have them in the quantum that we have internationally and the guys that have made a lot of money they're not necessarily angel investing so it's a bit of a cultural thing Hmm. so and again we can talk about quite a few problems that we that we are trying to implement or Quite a few solutions we're trying to implement to address that problem, but that's probably your biggest barrier. Okay,
1: we're going to come back to that. Yeah. So, angel is the first pocket. Angel's the first. What comes that? after that?
0: So, generally, what happens? Your angel gives you money, and more importantly, gives you time. So, they're someone who's got experience. They spend a lot of time in your business, and they help you sort of get out the door. So, prove
1: my probably, idea. Prove
0: my idea. So, they kind of get in the in the lingo we call product market fits. You try to get your revenue generation. So you try to say, does this product work? So I've now launched my app to bring water to my desk and there's five people who've said, cool, I like this and I'm willing to pay you for it. So go from that to actually being viable is the next big step. So now you need to raise what's called series A funding. So this is your first big round of money. Um it's generally going to last you for eighteen to twenty four months. You're going to use it to hire people. Cause up until now when you're getting angel funding, it's probably you and your buddy. In a garage. Yeah, in a garage. Right. Now you're going, okay, this thing is working. Now I need to hire some people. I need to hire someone to help me on operations. I need to hire someone for sales. Compliance,
1: finance, legal. Correct.
0: So now you're going into series A funding.
1: Okay, I need cash for that. Right? We need so, cash so, for that. so ticket sizes, what are what are firstly, what's that called?
0: That's called Series A. Series
1: A. And is that a a VC that provides that?
0: Generally, yes. Internationally, that is a VC that provides it. Um, So if you look in the US and you look at your rounds, you have a lot of angel funding. Because you can imagine what people do is they put little bits of money into really early organizations. As they get traction and get success, they put more money into yes. the ones that are winning, and more and more and, Follow more, and more. Follow the success story. Follow the success story. So that's your Series A, and those are your early stage VCs. Again, internationally, you've got venture capital companies that are early stage that'll do Series A, and then you've got growth venture capital funds that do later stage.
1: Okay, so that's even as nuanced and matured, the evolution has happened over such a long period of time that Correct. they've now got these niche transfers. Correct. Okay, so now if I am the entrepreneur and I've made it past proving that the people want my water and I now got to go get 18 months to 24 months worth of cash, I go to a VC, how much of my company am I giving them?
0: So again, this is different in SA versus internationally. I mean, internationally it ranges, but generally the view in the US is that your founding team has to retain a big stake in the organization. So the amount that you're giving away, I mean, it ranges, but it's probably in the order of like 30%.
1: Okay, because VCs aren't buying the control of this company. They want to go along for the ride.
0: Correct. And their whole thesis is around backing a jockey and making sure that the jockey remains incentivized and wakes up and thinks about it. So in the US, your VCs are taking much smaller stakes. Um,
1: Side question just quickly there. Mm-hmm. Is that why your, your failure past is such a proud thing in the US uh, in that this jockey has experience of how not to do it uh, and has learned presumably from your mistakes? Whereas culturally in South Africa, we kind of frown on people that make mistakes. Yeah. We tend to get them out the way rather.
0: We risk averse. Risk Again, we're not in an entrepreneurial ecosystem where we've got people who are now on their fourth. I mean, we do have them. Sorry, and I, I, I must be. I'm talking more specifically about the fintech and the tech industry, which is what I'm exposed to. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening here who say, "Yeah, but we've been funding startups for years, and they are there." But in the tech space, you just—it's quite rare that you find someone who's on their fourth, fifth startup. Mm. Again, because of a broken Recent. ecosystem, you can't exit.
1: Okay, so now 30% of my company, together with whatever the angels took, uh, I'm talking to the VC, I've got 24 months worth, and now I prove it again.
0: Now you prove it again. Now you're scaling. So now we're into what called growth financing. So now you've tested the concept, you've gotten some people on board, your revenue is growing at double digits, and now you want to take it to the next level. Maybe you're expanding product, maybe you're moving into a new geography, mm. uh, maybe you're working with new clients. Whatever the case may be, you're now taking it to the next level.
1: And that's private equity?
0: or banks no that's not still that's still in venture capital because you're in growth financing so you're still in vc so what's interesting in the u.s what we're seeing with the big what we call the tech unicorns is they're on like series f and series g sure so what used to happen is you kind of got your early stage money you got your series a you got your series b and then you ipo'd so you went public and you listed your company tech companies are no longer listing themselves um then they staying private for a lot longer. So your venture capital funds are now going all the way from Series A to Series G.
1: Wow. Oh. So how does the VC <laughs> then get its money out?
0: So how it works again in the I mean any funding landscape, the idea is that your Series A funder comes in a lower valuation and your series B funder then comes in, either takes out the series A mm. funder or the valuation, there's a massive valuation uplift.
1: So unrealized, but still a gain. Correct. And then at some point in time, presumably I have the election ability to get out either to the new funder or if it does, then go IPO. Correct. All right. So Now,
0: what's interesting, particularly in the fintech space, the majority of companies land up actually being bought by banks or by insurers. So if you look at the number of exits, they're not going public. They're generally being sold to a bank. So your angel and your series A and your series B will wait for the payday. So they'll wait for a bank to come and buy you.
1: Does that not kill the entrepreneurial spirit, though? Because now I've got to comply with the bank and all of its rules and regulations, procurement, and, and I used to be this free-spirited entrepreneur, and now I've got to fit into the corporate.
0: Sure, again, but what we see particularly like in the U.S., they go on to their next startup. So they build a business, they either list it or they sell it to a bank or they sell it to an insurer, and they go on to the next one.
1: And in South Africa, where that has happened, have those enterprises or initiatives survived?
0: Not necessarily in the form that the entrepreneur had. Again, I've you know, I've, I've had some experience in that having been on the other side of the coin. So I exited time when CBA bought them. So CBA was a big Australian bank and they bought sort of an entrepreneurial organization and things do change substantially. So t- what tends to happen is people who were very entrepreneurial.
1: I have a timesheet.
0: Yeah, you know, tend to leave. That is what happens a lot. Um and you know, those that are willing to sort of stand for the ride will, will stick around. But it's a huge issue. Uh, just from our perspective, from an RMI point of view, we would probably never buy 100% of an organization because we'd want the management team to be really incentivized.
1: Mm, vested interest, as it yeah. were. All right. Um, so talk to me about crowdfunding, though. I see uprises making some great strides in funding businesses as sure. an alternative source of funding. Mm.
0: So crowdfunding is an interesting one. Um, I'm not fully up to speed with where the regulatory environment has moved towards but certainly what's held crowdfunding back in South Africa versus internationally is we've got quite restrictive uh, sort of listing requirements so effectively when you go into a crowdfund platform in South Africa you can't list equity unless it's in a closed club because otherwise you're infringing with what the JSC does in terms of an IPO so you'd have to Put together an information memorandum, a prospectus, and give it to everyone in the market so they can make the decision. Whereas that doesn't, the rules are different in the UK and the US. So crowdfunding is quite difficult in South Africa, and you've got to put it into a framework that works within our context. Again, the regulator could be moving on that, and I'm not sure, but it's still quite difficult. The other thing in South Africa is. We don't have a very sophisticated investor base. We certainly don't have a big retail investment base. So South Africans, if they're investing through their pension or their provident funds. Huh. We don't have a lot of direct equity participation in the JSE, for example. We don't have a lot of individual investors. So companies so like Easy Equities are trying to change that. But generally, the majority of South Africans, they save their money, they give it to their pension fund manager and the pension man- fund manager is managing on their behalf.
1: For a fee? For a fee, sure. strange that this ecosystem persists.
0: <laughs> Sure, but for example, if you look in Australia, that's a very high level of retail participation where Joe Bloggs is bu- directly buying shares. Right. We don't have a lot of direct retail participation. So if you don't even have that in the big listed companies, how do you explain to the man on the street in South Africa, now you must buy an early stage company where there's no information and they've never done it before?
1: Sure, so there's actually an opportunity there in terms of creating awareness through an educational endeavor.
0: It is, but then you've also got to assume that South Africans have got additional disposable income.
1: Right, which so we're talking broader challenge. economy.
0: Yeah, we're talking broader economy right now. South Africans are stretched and South Africans don't, South Africans don't save. We know this is a problem. They certainly don't save on the formal organizations. So we know we've got a massive stock market of like 44 billion, which is quite informal. But generally, even the South Africans that do save are stretched at the moment. Um, I certainly don't have a lot of friends and family that are running around with extra cash to invest into startups, sure. even if they knew that they could, if they had the skill set. <laughs>
1: So, so if we're t- talking about broader economics, what about job creation? Surely the scalability of digital products and services, I understand that there are jurisdictional nuances, would allow for global expansion of a great business idea, and surely that creates a hell of a lot more jobs. So are you seeing FinTech as a job creator?
0: So in some ways it is, so, and I'm going to give you some examples from some of the companies we've invested in. So we've invested in one called Intersect, which does dual-factor authentication for banks, sounds really fancy. All they do is they allow you to verify yourself when you're doing online banking. So you get a pop up on your phone that says, is this you? Are you making this payment? Yes or no. Now, in a country with massive swim swap fraud, it's really revolutionary technology and it's, it protects your transactions. They've got over 100 people that are working in their office in Stellenbosch. These are hugely skilled, um, highly qualified people. And their business that started 10 years ago. So yes, they've provided over 100 highly skilled jobs. They haven't created 10,000 jobs, but they're never going to because technology by its very nature requires a highly skilled individual and you optimize. Mm. So fintech is not going to be a driver of job growth necessarily. It'll make some impact, but it's not going to employ thousands and thousands and thousands of people like a manufacturing industry. the manufacturing industry will do or mining will do. What it does do, though, is it helps make financial services products more accessible. So when you talk about economic inclusion. growth and you talk about inclusion, it's really important for people to be able to access financial services products. Basic example, one of the program businesses we've been working on is called Spoon Money. Spoon Money provides micro, micro, micro loans to female entrepreneurs. Now, spoon money itself may not ever employ loads of people, but they're giving working capital to women who are sewing on the side of the road, who's selling fruits and vegetables, to be able to grow their business. And maybe the person who is sewing on the side of the road can now employ two other women. Right. So when you are stimulation
1: able- for job creation, growth. rather.
0: So when you democratize the hmm. access to financial services and you give people like that access to products that they never had before, there you can see job growth and economic growth.
1: Okay, so, kind of. So, pur- it's an enabler. <laughs> yeah, which, which we need more of, right? Correct. So, um, one other concept that I wanted to touch with you was just this notion of inbound, outbound, and where you park your IP, specifically in a tech space where IP is, 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 a, is a big part of your asset base, intangible as it may be. Do I leave that in South Africa? Do I take it abroad? Do I, do I start it here and mature it elsewhere? What's the stance there?
0: So look, you've got to decide what kind of company you're building and what ultimately, always build a company with the end state in mind. So understand where you're taking the company. The thing is, if you are going to look at moving international or you're going to look at raising money internationally for any reason, you do need to look at exporting your IP. And the sooner you do it, the better, because the longer that you wait, the more tax you're going to pay on it. Mm. Um, so most tech companies these days offshore their IP from day one. And the reason they do that is so they can attract international investment. And also so that when you do have a big exit, you've got a bigger market to play towards. Um, from a jurisdiction perspective, very popular jurisdictions are obviously the tax havens like mm. a Mauritius, etc. The challenge with those is the tax benefits are always going to come under scrutiny, so the guidance we always give tech companies is if you are going to offshore your IP and have an international headquarters, do one that makes sense from a business point of view. Mm. So if you have to employ people and you have to grow the business and you've got clients, rather put it in that jurisdiction. because. That's always going to, you know, paying tax is a nice problem to have, I always think.
1: Yeah, it means there's profit.
0: (laughs) It means there's profit. So rather think about what's going to be better for your business in the long run and how you're going to grow your revenue line and then worry about profit, I mean worry about tax.
1: All right, so what do you as RMI look for when you make these investments? Is there a, Is there a magic concoction, a, a great enough business plan with a dependent enough jockey and a big enough market? Like, what are the things, just broadly speaking, for that guy or girl that sits in a corporate, has this burning desire to go and commercialize an idea, who wants to come and do a pitch? Heidi, what do you look for?
0: So, we look, so at a starting point, there's three big buckets we look at. So, first of all, we say, what industry are you playing in? Is it a growing industry? so are you are you for example if you were going and you were providing technology around checks in south africa you'd say that's not a growing industry but if you are providing (laughs) i don't know financing solutions to freelancers you can say well that's an emerging trend and the, the thing around freelance work and sort of the gig economy is growing, so it's a nice industry. So that's the first thing we say. Is it growing in the right direction? And are there deep revenue pools? That's a really important point because, for example, in the payment space, payments is really interesting, but it's a very low margin business. And you've got to get a lot of customers using your payment type if you want to scale and you want to make money. For example, like a SnapScan or a Zapper. Fantastic technologies, but it's really thin margins. So we say... Find an industry that's growing, that's got really deep margins and has got a lot of profit pools. Then second of all, does your business model have moats? So what we mean by moats, is it easy for someone to copy you? So have you got IP? Have you got a business model? Have you got operations that people are going to struggle to replicate?
1: Is this the barriers to entry, the, colloquialism?
0: barriers to entry, correct. Right. And then the third and most important one is your team. So there's a couple of things we look for from an entrepreneur. So first and foremost, we look for energy and what we call metabolism. So are you able to move quickly? Are you energetic? Are you passionate? Second of all, we look for cultural alignment. And what we mean by cultural alignment is do you want to do business in the right way? Do you want to do business ethically? Are you going to focus on customers? Are you going to offer a service that is beneficial to society as opposed to trying to make money at the hands of the poor or the marginalized? Um, and can we work with you? That's a big thing. So we look for what we call coachability. So is this an entrepreneur? Most entrepreneurs are very stubborn. It's why they started their business in the first place. And you love that. But they also need to be someone who wants to take guidance and is looking for support. So we find the best no
1: one knows everything, right?
0: Exactly. The best entrepreneurs are those that actively seek counsel and actively seek guidance. So those are the three things. If we had to wait them, without a doubt, the team and the entrepreneur and the entrepreneur is the most important. Um, Because you can have a really great entrepreneur who's got an okay idea but is willing to look for guidance and you can work with that person, you can grow the business. But you can also have the best idea, the best technology in a great industry but a completely uncoachable and low energy team and it's not going to go anywhere. Wow. So and. That talks to, for example, execution. So there's a little famous graph which says idea times execution, valuation is zero. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. You
0: know, you can have a really bad idea that's got no IP, but you can be executing really quickly and you can create value. No,
1: oh, well, I suppose that's why we see crappy products in the market. Someone Correct. has executed well to get them there. Correct. So talking of the market just broadly, as we bleed out, uh, what sectors are you seeing a lot of activity in where entrepreneurship has come alive and is being incubated? Where, where do you see traction
0: Sure. One of the, especially in the fintech space, one of the things that we found really interesting and we've invested into a couple of companies here is those that are building products and services for the banks or for the insurance companies. So instead of trying to disrupt the banks or disrupt the insurance companies, they're saying, we've got a really interesting piece of technology or we've got a really interesting service that we think can make banking products better. Hmm. So we've invested into two businesses like that. And the, the cons of those businesses, you've obviously got to get big banks and big insurers to work with you, which is difficult. But once you do, you can scale your product. And you
1: have an anchor tenant. And
0: you've got an anchor tenant, but more importantly, you've got trust. Right. So it's far easier for a customer, particularly in South Africa, to trust an existing brand. I mean, we're seeing that with Discovery, right? Why is Discovery going to be successful probably with its bank? Is people are really trusting with health insurance. It's far easier to trust Discovery. You've had a relationship with many years than... Purple Cow Bank. Um, I'm hmm. using on it. trusting versus yeah, new trust. Exactly. Right. Um, so we've seen a lot of um, development around that. We've seen a lot of interesting stuff around financial inclusion. And this is, we run a program called Alpha Code Incubate, where we award eight businesses every year two million rand of an entrepreneurial package. So they get a million rand of grant funding and they get a million rand of business support. And what we're really excited in that space is these are all black-owned businesses. And what we're finding, because it is your, your, these are black entrepreneurs, they're building products that are tailored to their society and to their market that they come from. So you haven't got bank executives in their ivory towers designing products that are relevant in the township. You've got people who saying, I've lived in the township. i come from the I know the what township. the problem is. I know what the problem is, and I'm going to design Insight. a solution. One of the ones we've just funded is called the Suduli which is providing, I call it um, the Airbnb of the township. Effectively, they provide a mechanism for if you own your RDP house and you've got property rights to your house, they'll come in and build four rooms in your backyard. So backyard dwelling is a big thing in the various townships. So they almost do an end-to-end service. They come in, they come and build it, they find you a tenant, and you get the money off it, Amazing. like an Airbnb. Now again, Sitting in Santon, you're not going to come up with that product because you. Not exposed to the enough, problem. I don't have enough insight into that. Wow. So that's what we get excited about is where we see people. Another one is livestock wealth, where it allows you to buy a cow via an app. Again, tapping into a cultural norm in society, which is cattle is a form of wealth. Yes. People have various reasons for buying cows, but maybe you're now a city slicker and you don't want to have to go with the effort of buying a cow back home. This app allows you to do it. So things like that are just extraordinary.
1: Amazing concept. Well, there you have it, the South African ecosystem of funding, entrepreneurship, and corporate players getting involved in a nutshell. Dom, thanks very much for joining me.
0: Pleasure.
1: You've been listening to R&B's On The Verge
0: podcast series. Subscribe for more solutionist thinking.